listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, everyone. Uh, Welcome back, and welcome to our continuation of our series, Life in the Spirit. How many of you know that song by Bob Carlyle and Randy Thomas, Butterfly Kisses? You know that one? It's real sweet. It's kind of a tearjerker. I love it as the father of six girls. Um, it's a little patriarchal, so I try not to you know, overanalyze the, the song. I do know a story, though, that um, Carlyle and, and Thomas had written this for their daughters, Brooke and Crystal. And then uh, his son, Bob Carlyle's son, when he got to be about five or six, said, Dad, why don't you have a song for me? And his, his immediate response was, well, what would I have named that song? Um, Stop that and get down from there? <laughs> so, you know, I can appreciate that. I mean, Thomas and, and Carlisle would eventually co-write a song for their sons, and it's titled A Father's Love. So I thought that I would title this sermon, Sit Down and Shut Up, as a, an appropriate Father's Day sermon. Yeah, thanks for laughing. I was sharing it with Hannah, one of my girls, and she suggested that I title it, uh, Don't Be Sorry, Just Don't Do It Again, (laughs) which I know is a little rough, but that is a refrain that she has heard a lot in her life. Don't be sorry, just don't do it again. Like, give me a break. I mean, a kinder, gentler title of the sermon, it was actually the first title I suggested to our Sunday morning planning crew. I said, let's just title it, Peace Be Still because that's the language that I'm familiar with from this passage in the gospel where Jesus speaks to the storm on the Sea of Galilee and he says, peace be still. The problem with that is that's just, that's just too, that's how you correct your children when other people are watching. You know, oh yeah, that, that struck too close to home, huh? Yeah, so you're out and you're trying to get them to behave, but you're trying to do it under your breath, like you sit right there and you be still. <laughs> peace be still. Um, and when I'm looking at the original text and I, I look at that phrase, it doesn't say peace be still as much as it says sit down and shut up. It's kind of harsh language. In fact, Mark only uses this, this word that gets translated be still twice in Mark's gospel. Uh, the first time he uses it to tell a demon to shut up. And here he uses it to tell the wind to shut up. Um, Let's look at that first passage. This is Mark chapter 1, verses 23 through 27. Just then, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. That be silent could be translated, shut up. And come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. Apparently, the demon doesn't know what be quiet means, right? He cried with a loud voice right after Jesus told him to shut up. (laughs) They were all amazed and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching? With authority, he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. So, 
What the rabbis would do with texts like these, both of these texts use the word for rebuke and this word for shut up. And it's the only place in the gospel, again, the gospel of Mark, where these two words are used together. And so it, it implies, according to that kind of rabbinical way of reading, that something else is going on in the passage in the storm. This is not just a natural phenomenon. This is a spiritual phenomenon that they're up against. In fact, the word used for storm, or I think in our translation it said windstorm, is also an unusual word and only used here in Mark. It's the same word that got used uh, when they translated the Hebrew version of Job into Greek. They used this same word there to talk about the, the storm that came up right before God says, were you there when I created the world? And Job's like, mm, no, thank you. So this, this idea, it, it, it suggests that, um, or it carries overtones of a spiritual power. This is no common storm. Some dictionaries will translate the word as whirlwind or even hurricane. So again, according to the Job story, it's being used to talk about how God has power and authority over creation, over chaos. And then here in Mark's gospel, I think it's having the same idea. The fact that Jesus uses these words to talk about how he makes demons be quiet and how he makes this kind of unusual, kind of fierce and unexpected storm also be quiet. Martin Luther, when he read this passage, said that he noted that the story begins with a reference not to a singular boat, but kind of like a whole fleet of boats. There were a lot of fishing boats that were there. But as the story goes on, there's no reference to the other boats. These boats were relatively small. Here's an artist's rendition of one of these boats. Um, you can see there are three guys in the boat, and there's another guy outside. It would, it would have been hard to fit a lot of people in them. They're relatively small, and we all, while we call it the Sea of Galilee, it's more like a lake, at least the lake where I come from. When I first moved to Lakeland and they called all these lakes lakes, I'm like, it's not a lake, this is a pond. You know, if I can stand on the edge of it and see all the way around it, I don't know if I'm going to call it a lake. I mean, not where I'm from anyway. Lakes are big. You get on there and you go somewhere. But the Sea of Galilee is more like a lake. It's like a Lakeland Lake, we'll call it. In fact, when Luke wrote his gospel, he doesn't refer to the Sea of Galilee as a sea. He only refers to it as the lake because he's from the sea, the Aegean Sea. He knows what a sea is. But there, these, these small boats were used by professional fishermen. And several years ago, there was one of these first century boats found kind of stuck in the mud. There was a huge drought and it lasted for years. And as the sea recited, um, uh, archeologists found this boat and they, through a process, extracted it out of the mud and they've got it into a, a museum that now sits on the North shore of the Sea of Galilee. And you can see there kind of just how small it was. So for Jesus and his disciples to have packed in one of these little boats, it would have been full. And there would have been lots of other boats, it says. Um, and the storms could really whip up on this lake. So to say that there was a storm and that it was a packed full little boat and that the waves were crashing in on them, it does seem to be pretty scary. 
But again, Martin Luther makes this conjecture, and I don't know that I can go with him, but he kind of says, isn't it interesting that there's no reference to the other boats? It's as though the other boats were able to get away without any trouble. And it was only the boat that Jesus was in that had the storm that attacked it. I mean, it reminds me of that scene from, is, is it Bruce Almighty? Where the, the storm is falling down on him, he tries to move and the storm follows him, and he tries to move and the storm follows him. It's like wherever Jesus goes, there seems to be a storm. Somebody seems to be upset about what Jesus is doing, right? First, it's the demons. They're like, hey, hey, we know who you are. Don't be trying to sneak in here, son of the most high. What do you do? You're here to destroy us? And it's like the storm. It's like the storm knows too. Wait a minute, wait a minute. We know who's in this boat. This guy's dangerous. It's like the demons and, and the weather seem to know more about who Jesus is than the people do. And Luther would say this, he would say, I know that I'm preaching well when people are upset about what I'm saying. <laughs> he says, because if I preach Christ, I should receive a storm. Now, that doesn't mean you should not like my sermon today. <laughs> or that if you don't like it, it means I didn't preach Christ. Or just because I, you, you don't like it, it doesn't mean necessarily that I am preaching Christ. But these disciples were experienced fishermen. They knew this lake. They were out on it all the time. So their reaction to the storm does suggest that it was extraordinarily severe. They cry out to Jesus, and I think their cry to Jesus is exactly the cry that I give sometimes when I'm in trouble, and I imagine it's the cry that you give when you're in trouble too. We cry out to God, don't you care? This is what they said. They said, don't you care? We're about to die. And, and, I, and I existentially, I'm with them. Like, I feel that too. Like, when times are tough, I'm like, God, where are you? Do you see me? If you do see me, why aren't you doing something? Like, that, that expression, don't you care, I think is as honest a response to trouble as we can give. But Jesus comes, and his retort might seem a bit extreme. And it's even more extreme in the original uh, Greek, I think. He rebukes the wind, but then he interrogates the disciples. He says, why are you so cowardly? Our, I think our translation said, why, why do you have fear? Except it's not really the word fear there. It's like, why are you cowards? <laughs> do you still not trust in me? I think it's important to note that Jesus is not saying that there's nothing to be afraid of. When he says, why are you afraid and do you not have faith in me or do you not trust me? It's not the same thing as saying there's nothing to be afraid of. I think there is something to be afraid of. There's something to be afraid of them here in the story. That was a dangerous storm and they could have died. And we have things to be afraid of too. Like sometimes we're afraid of things that are unrealistic. But other times we're afraid because we, we face serious challenges, serious dangers. Their boat was about to sink. So don't hear his why are you afraid as saying it's wrong to ever be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. But what Jesus is saying is trust in me. Again, we often translate this uh, why do you, do you still not yet have faith? But I hear the word faith and I think I'm supposed to 
believe in something I can't see and say a prayer. But the word faith here is it's a bit more simple than that. It's not, so, it's not particularly spiritually deep in some ways. It's just the basic idea of trusting in someone. It's about having a relationship with God and with Jesus. Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I'm here in this boat. The wind is blowing, the waves are crashing, but I'm not leaving you. Jesus rebukes the demon in the exorcism story, and he rebukes the wind in this calming of the storm story, but he does not rebuke his disciples. I mean, later in the story, he will rebuke Peter one time when Peter tries to take over, and he says, he rebukes, well, well Peter rebukes Jesus, Jesus rebukes Peter back, and they get into a little tiff. But not in this story. Jesus is not rebuking the disciples here. He's rebuking the wind. He's telling the wind to stop. He's rebuking the demon. He's telling the demon to shut up. And then he's turning to his disciples and he's asking the question, do you still not yet trust me? Like, I want you to trust me. I'm with you. This sort of relational trust, I think the best analogy is the analogy that we find in marriage. Marriage, having faith in your partner, doesn't mean that everything is always all right. The, the trust that we have and the vows that we make in a wedding are vows that I'll be with you as long as things are okay. Uh, you know, I'll be with you as long as we have you know, enough funding and we don't have any troubles, right? The vows that we make in, wed in a wedding are vows of, of trust that kind of, dis you know, despite what might come, right? Be what may, I'm with you. It says this, this is the traditional uh, kind of um, wedding vows. I take you, so-and-so, to be my wedded husband or wife, to have to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. Like, it's that kind of commitment to the relationship that I think Jesus is asking for. Like, the gospel is saying the same one who created the world and who controls these things is the same one who is with you. And that one loves you and will not leave you. And you need to trust in that. Maybe especially in the midst of difficult times, you need to trust in that. Like it's easy to trust when things are smooth or easy. It's not so easy to trust when the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing. But I believe that's exactly what we're called to today. God may not calm every storm in your life. But God can calm the storm that is within you. He can calm you and be with you, kind of despite what might happen. I heard a story about a young minister who made a call on one of his older um, members. As he went to the fellow's room, he noticed a chair was pulled up by the bedside. He said to the man lying in the bed, I see I'm not the first visitor you've had today. And the man answered weakly, he said, oh, I need to explain. When I was a little boy, I had difficulty praying to Jesus. 
And so my minister suggested that when I was, was going to talk to him, that I should pull up a chair and talk to him as though he was sitting in the chair. The young minister left after reading Psalm 23, and a few days later, early in the morning, there was a knock at the pastor's door. An anxious daughter kind of sobbed out her story. She had told how her father had died without her being present. She says, I had left his bedroom only for a few minutes to rest. I was only gone for just a little while, and when I returned, he was gone. He had died alone. And I'm so sorry for that. There was no change in him from when I left the room except for one thing. His hand was on the chair. You see, friends, the Christian affirmation is that we are made for fellowship with God. When we understand that, we will also understand God's desire that we surrender every fear, every worry, every concern to him in prayer. And it is then that we place our hand on the chair, confident that God is there. It is how Jesus overcame fear and it's, he invites us to do the same. Why are we afraid? Let's put our trust in God. We've invited a couple of our fellow Oasians to share with us today about the fierce storms that they are facing. So I, I invite you to listen, and then we will all respond with the prayers of the people. Hello. Okay. Hi, I'm Carrie. Um, I've been going here for five, six years, I don't know, a while. Um, and this is my story. As a young girl, I grew up with my mom most present in my life. For a long time growing up, my mom was a children's pastor at my first church that I grew up in. I was always around God, and I was always learning about the Bible at Sunday school. After many years of being at that church, we decided that it was time for a change and ended up here at Oasis. At first, I felt really awkward because I was in sixth grade and I was an awkward preteen. I went to youth group for a few weeks and finally made some new friends. After a while of coming to Oasis, I felt like I had found my church family. By the beginning of eighth grade year, my relationship with God was there, but it wasn't my main priority. I went to church, but I did nothing outside of that to further my relationship with God. I was focused on being liked at school and having a social life. In February of 2018, my whole life flipped upside down. I went to the hospital one night after a blood test came back with very low blood cell numbers for a 14-year-old girl. My body was working on half of the amount of red blood cells that it needed to, and I could have bled out if I had hurt myself at the time. At first, I was scared, but I didn't understand the full extent of my condition. After what felt like a million blood draws in lab tests, the results were in, and I it turned out that I had severe aplastic anemia. This means that my bone marrow was failing to make blood for my body. When I was in the hospital for the first few days, I was mainly in shock and didn't really understand what was going on but I had my mom and Pastor Robbie by my side praying with me so that I could have some sort of peace. 
After a few weeks, it was time for chemo and I was scared. I prayed so hard that everything would be okay and that I would heal quickly, but that didn't happen. I lost God during this time. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. I was in pain and had not eaten or slept in days. I could barely sit up to drink. I felt empty. When I got out of the hospital, all I could do was lay in bed. I was so depressed and didn't see the point in living anymore. In September of 2018, I started slowly getting better, but it wasn't good enough for the severity of my condition. So I was about to go in for a bone marrow transplant. That would have been so much worse than the chemo that I had gone through a few months back. Two weeks before the transplant, I had another bone marrow biopsy, which said that my bone marrow was working back to the percentage that a normal person would have, and it was a true miracle. I was still praying all of the time after my first treatments, but I didn't see a point in it. When I got those results back, and it said 90% function of bone marrow, I felt good. He was there the whole time, even if I didn't feel him or see him. As I slowly weaned off my meds, everything was great. I started going back to church and my relationship God with God was stronger than ever until my blood counts started going down again, June of 2020. I had another bone marrow biopsy and my bone marrow was at 60%. This tore me apart because it meant that I was relapsing. Now it is a year later and I have done a few treatments to try and help my bone marrow. The difference is that this time I have God with me and I know that he is here with me. When people say that God will give you a miracle, take that with a grain of salt. Yes, I had a miracle, but that now that miracle is gone. Now I have such a different look on life. Yes, I have God in my heart. Yes, I am sick, but I'm also a lot better off than I was three years ago. I pray every day that God will heal me, heal me completely, but I know that that isn't realistic. All I wish for is that I understand why I have this illness and what, is it, what it is supposed to teach me. I love God. He is my savior. He is with me all of the time, and I'm so thankful for that. God will always be in my heart from now on. And from what I have learned and seen, I will never take a day for granted because we never know when it is the time for us to go. Thank you. Thank you, Carrie. That was very awesome. So my name's Jim, and it's good to be here this morning. Um, Carol asked if I would would share um, a time uh, when when I went through something uh, where it was as if life was happening to me, um, things were out of control. So that I've been in that place before. If you live long enough, that happens, um, and I kept coming back to probably the most significant event um, that our family has ever had to go through. So this is, this is uh, my story. Um, there are dates I will never forget, birthdays. February 10th, 1993, our firstborn son, Michael, was born that day. May 28th, 1997, our daughter, Anna, was born on that day. December 17th, 1970, it's my wife's birthday. My birthday being the oldest, February 27th, 1967. That's not too old, is it? 
Okay. Um, there's also anniversaries we celebrate. Uh, my wife and I were born, or were born, were married in 1990. We were just children. July 28th, 1990. So we're celebrating. We'll celebrate 31 years of marriage. Yeah. Um, if you only knew, <laughs> it's a lot happens in 31 years. Um, there's holidays we all celebrate. Um, you know, the 4th of July, Labor Day, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, Christmas. One of the things I like about Oasis is we talk a lot about the calendar and church holidays and feast days and seasons. Um, so we celebrate times, but there's also days of loss um, that we look back and Memorial Days. And um, so for our personal family, the day, the day that's permanently etched into my mind and, and both my wife and my daughter's mind is December the 16th, 2016. That's a day that changed everything for me. That's a day where my experience of time simply stopped and I was thrust into a new and terrifying world. Uh, for our family, really, there's life before 12, 16, 16, and then life after 12, 16, 16. It's, a, it's like a dividing line. Uh, that day started off like so many Fridays. It was a Friday. I was off in a rush, coffee in hand, going to work. I was feeling my way into a new position. I had returned back to the county courthouse where uh, we affectionately call that the place of suffering or the belly of the beast. Um, a lot happens in a courthouse, um, and it's, it's a unique place to work, but I feel it's the place God has, has placed me. I had left there and returned back um, after being gone for about five years. So I had not accrued any leave time or annual leave or anything like that. The holidays were coming. The dockets were slowing down. Juries were not coming in. Judges were taking off. Uh, it was like a skeleton crew there at the courthouse. And there I was, uh, you know, it was Friday. I was grateful I'd made it through another week. And like I said, everything was kind of coming to a grinding halt. Around a quarter to five, I began to shut down, go through the process. Any of you guys that work eight to five or nine to five jobs, you know, you power down your computer. Um, for me, I'm up on like the fourth floor, so I get in the elevator, go out. Um, through the lobby, say goodnight to the security guards who are like family to us. We see them uh, every day throughout the day. And I was heading out, and normally I call my wife uh, when I'm heading out. It's Friday. For some reason, I didn't call her. And I'd gotten into my car, which I found, if you've ever had to park at the courthouse, that is a challenge. So imagine working there for 10 hours. A lot of times it's like you're at Disney World trying to figure out where you parked. So I, got, I had gotten in my car and I had made it through and I'd passed Sonny's, gone over the railroad tracks, was at the 9860 intersection heading south and my phone rang and I looked down and it was my wife. I kind of instinctively thought, well, it's Friday, maybe we're gonna go out to eat or maybe you know, she needs me to pick something up uh, for dinner. But when I picked up the call, I immediately knew something was terribly wrong. I could not make out really anything she was attempting to say. 
just loud, anguished, guttural sobs that I had heard. Then I heard her say his name, my son, our son's name, over and over, Michael, Michael, Michael. This simply could not be. Things were finally getting better. We were planning the trip to go down to Fort Lauderdale to be with Michael in his uh, sober living program. He had gotten a job. Things appeared to be shifting in a, in a more positive direction. I asked her who, who was with her. You know, my first thought was, are you home alone? What's going on? And she said she was at the house and that, yes, there was a neighbor there with her. And, and this neighbor was sitting outside and he, he got on the phone with me and said he would stay there uh, with her until I got home. Um, so when I pulled up to the house, um, I, I stayed on the phone. I mean, it's just a blur. I stayed on the phone with Val for quite a while, prayed, and um, called really close friends and said, please be praying for us. And I made it to the house. When I got to the house, there was um, family all around. And essentially what, what had happened was um, my wife had gotten a phone call outside from a detective in Fort Lauderdale notifying her that our 23-year-old son, Michael, had just been pronounced dead. Um, so, as, as this was happening, um, you know, while I was still at work and my wife was getting the call, there was this neighbor walking his dog across the street on a sidewalk right at the exact time my wife was getting this call. He stopped what he was doing, he walked over to be with my wife, Again, he got on the phone, he assured me that he'd stay there. Um, by the time I got home, um, the next several minutes or however long are just a surreal blur, um, including this neighbor and his dog. <laughs> Even though he didn't know us, he seemed to want to stick around. He approached me at some point and he told me that he worked for the Lakeland Police Department and that he could get a chaplain out to come to be with us if we wanted. I thanked him and told him we'd be okay and that other family members and friends would be arriving shortly. Sure enough, a steady stream of people began to show up. A few minutes later, again, this neighbor and his dog asked me something like, are you sure you don't want a chaplain to come out? I told them a little bit, um, maybe a little short. I, I said, you know, my brother is a pastor of a church, family's coming, I think we're gonna be fine. But I said, to be honest, if that's something you want to do, go, go ahead and call the chaplain. Um, sometime later, I don't know how long, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a big green diesel truck and I thought it was my friend Mike. Um, I thought somebody had called him and he was coming over. And you know, everything's happening at once. There's people all over, we're sobbing, we're crying, we're outside. The next memory I have, looking back, is a man walking up to me and I turned around to look at him and I saw John Bishop. Now John Bishop, I hadn't seen in 20 years. He was in over 20 years. He was an associate pastor at Skyview Assembly of God. And that was the church my wife and I attended during our early dating and marriage years when we had first become Christians. I had not, we had not seen John in well over 20 years. As you may have guessed it, John just happened to be the volunteer chaplain of the day. 
who was dispatched out to her house on 12-16-16, once I said, yeah, do whatever, to my new friend with the dog. When I looked up at John, even though I hadn't seen him in over 20 years, I immediately recognized him. And just as quickly, I had a memory of my wife and I, as brand new followers of Jesus, holding up Michael as a baby and giving him to Dr. Sharp, who is the pastor of Skyview, to perform the child dedication ceremony on a Sunday morning at Skyview some 23 years ago. It was like in that moment of time, I was being reminded that God was with us now, just as he had always been. He was with us when we were young, when we were scared new parents who had no idea how to parent. It was as if he was saying, look, Jim, you guys didn't really know what you were doing when you came to me and you turned your lives over to me. You didn't know how things would turn out. You didn't know how to be a father, but you came to me and as best you can, you even gave me Michael all those years ago. And I have always been there for you and Michael and Valerie and Anna in all the good times and the bad times. And I'm here now. And it's okay because the war is finally over for Michael. After some of the people began to leave, John came into the house and just sat with us. He listened and he prayed some with us and we haven't seen him since. Now, the man and his dog, that's a different story. I began to notice him almost daily. It was like a new word you learn. He was there. I would see him just about every day walking his dog. We only had two real distinct conversations that I can recall. One was about his brother who had been a drug addict for decades or struggled with substance abuse. And the other one was about his work. However, what was different was we always acknowledged each other with a look, with a glance, with a smile. We were connected. He became, for me, a solid reminder and encouragement that no matter how lost we feel, no matter how dark things get, God our Father is always there, even when we do not see or feel him. Maybe more so even when we do not see or feel him. Even when the very worst day comes and arrives at your house. In fact, this man and his dog remind me, like it says in scripture, that God is very truly present and a help in our times of trouble. He never leaves us, he never forsakes us. He sticks closer than a brother. As Eugene Peterson says in his message translation, God is a safe place to hide in times of trouble. Thanks for letting me share. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.